This is the Charlie Chats Footy Podcast with me, Charlie Casson. Thank you very much for listening. If there's any new listeners, how are you doing? Enjoy. I hope you like this. Um, if you do, make sure you subscribe. I hope you've all been enjoying the football. I know you're probably thinking it's a Tuesday and I don't usually put out episodes on a Tuesday. Well, this week I've got a double whammy for you. Two episodes in a week. You are in for a treat. I'll tell you who we got coming on this Friday later on in the week. But for now, it's episode eight. It's with the brilliant Chopé Dirisu. He is an amazing actor. He's a massive Arsenal fan. I saw him play Coriolanus at the RSC in Stratford a couple of years ago. And he absolutely blew me away. Chopé has been on your screens recently during lockdown. Starring in the Sky original TV series Gangs of London. Playing the undercover cop. Elliot Finch, which I thought was fucking wicked. If you haven't seen it, get involved. It's on Sky. Go and check it. In this episode, we talk about Chopé's earliest football memories, his Nigerian roots, what got him into Arsenal. We talk about the Invincibles, Arsenal's decline under Wenger. Chopé gives us his Arsenal all-time five-a-side team. And, of course, I ask him which footballer he would play past or present in a Hollywood biopic of their life on the big screen. Make sure to follow on all the socials and please share it if you like it. This is episode 8 of the Charlie Chats Footy podcast with Chopé Dirisu. Enjoy. Welcome everybody to the Charlie Chats Footy podcast. I am here with Chopé Dirisu. Chopé, how you doing mate? Yeah man, I'm all good. I really appreciate you having me on here as well. Thank you. That's an absolute pleasure, man. So let's go back right to the start, right to the beginning. Right. What is your first football memory that you can remember? Um, bro, first ever thing. And it's definitely not the first one, but one thing that does stick in my mind a lot is um, watching Nigeria play England in the World Cup. And then this was been like, oh, it must be 2002. Um, it's not like the first memory, but it is really important to me because like my parents are Nigerian, but I was born and raised in England. So I was sat in this assembly hall because they gave us like time off class to watch the game because England were playing in the afternoon. And I sat in this assembly hall feeling kind of like torn. Like, oh, who do I support in this instance? Um, and it was a real sort of, it's amazing how football becomes an identity issue. And I mean, like, we all identify with the team that we support or the country we support. And that was the first time that I felt like the real conflict of football and politics um, in my identity as a human, like as a British-born citizen of Nigerian descent. So, um, yeah, that turmoil, I think, is the first time that I really felt how divisive, but also how personal football can be. Um, but yeah, I definitely remember like Beckham in 98. Um, I remember watching Gascoigne play. Uh, I, the the grey Umbro England kit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's one of my first memories of um, watching football. I want to get that kit and the away Arsenal kit with the, you know, the Bruce Banana kit. Those are my two earliest sort of like... Oh, back in the JVC days, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the 90s, yeah. the 90s era. Mm-hmm. Did you ever play as a boy? Well, like, I've had a real struggle with playing football over the years. Like, my parents being of um, Nigerian, well, they're Nigerian and I'm of Nigerian descent. 
coming over to a different country, you know, when you're an immigrant and the life you want to set up for your kids, it's not about like being an actor or playing football. It's all about getting an education and doing all those things that are going to set you up to have a really solid foundation. So like playing football on the weekends or Sunday league as a kid, like wasn't something my parents ever really encouraged, Mm. which was a shame for me. I didn't get to play football on the weekends as part of a team until I was maybe 15, 16. And that's because I was really begging them to do it, you know? I remember playing football on my birthday one time. And the problem I had is that if you play organized football from a younger age, like you have coaches who are teach you the techniques or they will tell you what your best position is, you know? I, to this day, don't know what my best position is really because I never had a, a coach figure to tell me, oh, unfortunately you're a centre back or like you're up front or I've never been taught how to strike, you know? Everyone thinks that they can, but like the technique of shooting a ball, I still don't know what it is <laughs> at my big age, you know? So um, I never got to, I never really experienced what it's like to play like a whole season or like a few seasons as part of a team outside of school. I played for a school team once when I was 11, but um, it's mainly been just in the streets or with friends. So why Arsenal? This is a, this is a very, like, story means a lot to me, I suppose, because my dad is not a football man. So I didn't have that father-son connection that a lot of people do, or like uncles who support a certain team, or um, I didn't have that influence. My mum says that she's a Man United fan, but if, I, if you asked her where they played, she wouldn't be able to tell you. Um, and as a Christian woman, I told her that, you know, like the... Um, the nickname for Manchester United is the Red Devils. Yeah, Red she's Devils, just like, yeah. oh my god, oh my god. She starts feeling a certain way about it, you know. <laughs> so um, she definitely wasn't going to pass on um, the support of Man United to me. Although she always used to tease me about being an Arsenal fan, especially when um, the decline happened. Mm. Uh, but the reason that I am an Arsenal fan—it's kind of mad, actually. A friend of mine was being bullied at school by Man United fans, and I had no allegiance at this time. Um, they like three or four of them like ganged up on him. I remember his name, but I won't know. I won't put any names to it at the moment, just in case these people are reformed these days. But um, <laughs> it was like three or four Man United fans, children. You know, children can be so mean, ganging up on my friend who was an Arsenal fan. And so, like, my form of protecting him was to be like, "Well, I'm an Arsenal fan too. Are you going to bully me?" And I was like a big kid. I developed quite quickly for that age. We're talking in like ooh, five, six, seven years old. And I wasn't someone that they were going to start a fight with. So because I said that I was an Arsenal fan and I stood next to my mate, they left him alone. And just off the back of that, it was the first time I declared that I'd supported the team. So I was like, okay, cool. I guess I support Arsenal. And then at various junctures through my life, because I was born in London, but then moved out to where my family is in Luton now. Um, various junctures, you then start meeting loads of different people and you like get to redefine who you are and where your values are, where your loyalties are, because nobody knows you as a form of continuity. So I was like, am I still an Arsenal fan? Like it was kind of an arbitrary decision I made to defend my friend one time. Um, now that I'm making new friends at a new school, do I decide who I'm going to support like as, a, as an educated decision? 
and then I just never made that. So I just stuck with Arsenal. And then they were quite successful and that was a nice sort of like happy accident. When would this have been roughly? We're looking at 96. No, no, probably like 97. So you're in the, so you're in the sort of, you're one of the biggest clubs, Arsenal, one of the biggest clubs in England at that point and in the world. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know why they were at him. It was just like that domestic rivalry. Because, you know, like Man United versus Arsenal was like the clash of the Titans for yeah. a, at least a decade. Um, until both of those clubs have now gone into decline with the loss of their legacy managers. But yeah, I fell on my feet defending my friend for sure. It wasn't like I picked, I don't know, Blackburn who won the league once and then disappeared off the face of the earth. <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday, you know. Oh, speaking of which, i tell you what, what one of my favourite earliest memories of Merlin sticker books, man. Merlin sticker books and trading shinies and mm. oh man, yeah. I remember having a Vinnie Jones sticker uh, when he used to play for Wimbledon. You know, God, that's kind proper of ni- that's proper nineties. That I know, right? I really sort of um, missed those teams. You know, like teams that were legends of the Premier League, like Charlton and Leeds and mm. Sheffield Wednesday and Wimbledon. Even teams like Bolton, you know, Bolton have just been relegated yes. to League Two now. Serious? Yeah, they're in League Two now. The, the the tragedy is like, we may never see those clubs in the Prem again. Well, not until we have kids, you know? Yeah. Like, I've seen Leeds battle and Charlton battle and battle to try and, like, regain that form of glory. Leeds are probably the closest to doing it. And Derby County as well have been up and mm. down a couple of times. But they used to be a stalwart of the league, you know? Mm. Um. Yeah, there was a time when like Leeds were like, remember when they had like Viduka and all that, when they were like challenging they for Europe? They were playing in Europe. Yeah. yeah. And they were in Europe. Yeah. That team was so good, man. They had like Viduka, Kuehl, mm-hmm. um, who else did they have? Hart, Alan Smith, all that lot. Those were the days, man. What's the best game you've ever seen? Um, the problem I had was that, like I said, my dad was never a football fan. Yeah. Um, that said, some of my fondest memories of watching football are watching Match of the Day with him. Because he gets so involved, you know. It's, it's almost ridiculous to me that he hasn't got a team that he supports because he loves watching it. But then he's just like, actually, I get too invested, so I need to sort of back off this a little bit. I think that's <laughs> why he doesn't like it. Um, but because I didn't have that connection with my dad, like, I had no one to take me when I was younger. So it was all about watching it on the TV and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, finding old clips on YouTube and stuff like that. But... I only went to my first Arsenal game when I was like 22, 23, you know? One of the first games I went to was the 2-0 FA Cup win over Spurs, which was excellent. That was one of my first few games. But I tell you what, it's, it's a shame to think of it like this. But one of the best games I've ever been to was the 5-4 loss to Liverpool at the beginning of the season a couple of years ago. Because that was just, <laughs> it was so emblematic of the journey of Arsenal Football Club over the last like 15 years. Because I think we got, we were being smashed like 3 0 at one point in time. Then we came back to 3 2, and then it was like 4 3. And we're just like, we're hanging in there. Like, we just need one goal to draw, and it would be like one of the greatest games you've ever seen because you've seen eight goals in the game. And then they got that last, they got, the fifth, I think it was to make it 5-3 and then we got one back at the end. But it was just like, you went on the whole roller coaster. That is what live football is about. 
that's what supporting your club is about. Like going mm. through the lows and then coming back to the highs. And um, I left that match just completely washed out, you know. But it was totally worth the the, the mass amount of money I paid for it because because I, I shared that moment live with all those people in that stadium. Yeah, that's special, man. Have you got just? I'm just going back to Nigeria just because it's popped in my head. Have you yeah. got? Do you own the that Nigerian kit? The, yeah, the, bro. The the Nigerian kit. Yeah, bro. Most definitely. Oh, have you got it in you right now? I haven't got it on me. It's, oh. it's in my house in London, but um, I Mate, swear that I've worn it one joke. time. Oh, it's beautiful, man. It's beautiful. So many have people. Have you seen the, the latest one? Nah. Oh, they've um they've got the new design for what was supposed to be Af- African Cup of Nations this year. But um, is it, is it, hang on, let me look now. Nigeria. Oh, bro, it's still wavy. Nigeria kit, what, 2020, yeah? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. exactly, man. Look yeah, at that's stats. nice. That's <laughs> nice. That's nice. With the night tick in the middle as well. Yeah. Oh, man. I'll tell you what, like, the football team may not be as good as it once was with, like, Okocha and that. But, oh, my God. Um, do you remember Okocha? Yeah, JJ, man. He was he was he, he was he the captain in Nigeria? Was he like the boss? He must have been. He, uh, I presume he was a captain. You know, I don't he know that for been. a fact, but he was definitely the player. You know, he was definitely the go-to guy. Um, and it's mad, you know he, it's how, mad he didn't play for like a bigger team in the Prem than Bolton. When you think of it, well, he was playing for Bolton when Bolton were like a, not a big team, and he definitely could have moved to a bigger team. But um, they were a competing team. And they were always our bogey team. Um, they always like came and ground out a win against us. And like before it was a rainy day at Stoke, it was a rainy day in Bolton. You know? <laughs> yeah, Stoke's the new one, isn't it? Yeah. But I think like he had such an international career. You know, he played in Europe for quite a few years before he came to the UK. So he was on his own journey, you know. But um, when, you know, Alex Awobi is his nephew. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. So we were hoping that we had the next JJ Okocha on our hands because of the, the blood ties, but um, I guess he didn't live up to the hype, unfortunately. Let's talk about, right, the Invincibles. How good was that team? And do you think it could ever be done again? How does it compare? Let's, let's start with how good was the team and how does it compare to this current Liverpool team? You know what? Like, it might be a bit sacrilegious for me to say it, but I'm going to voice this that the team was clearly incredible. They went so many games without losing, you know? But it's weird to say that the system they worked in, because that's not the coach Arsene Wenger was, but they were together, they were, what do you call it? They, the sum was more than the parts, you know? Mm-hmm. We had some incredible, incredible individual talents like Vieira and Perez and Youngberg and Omri. But it felt like, you know, that Brazil teams of the 90s where it's just like, oh, you scored, so we're just going to score more, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think that the Liverpool team of today is probably better coached than um, that Arsenal team was in terms of, like, the system that they play in and they know how they attack, how they defend. Like, I, as an Arsenal fan, I'm so proud of that achievement. And when Liverpool went so many games undefeated this year, like, everyone starts to get a little bit itchy. Like, can someone please beat this team so that they don't claim the un- invincible title? And I think that the thing that's amazing about the Prem is that 
any team can beat any team. Mm. And Watford, Watford, of all the teams were the ones to beat Liverpool, you know? Yeah, man, that was crazy. It, it, was, just, it was just wild. It didn't make any sense. I think that's what makes it the most exciting league in the world. Where it's not like Spain, where you one of the three of Madrid, Barca, and only recently Atletico are going to compete at the top. And everyone's going to like, when was the last time you watched a Getafe game? Do I think it will ever be done again? I mean, I'll always hope that it won't be unless it's Arsenal that repeat. But uh, you never know, man. You never know. We came scarily mm-hmm. close this year. I want to say no. But also, the game has changed. Like, If you put this Liverpool team today in their prime up against the Invincibles in their prime, I don't think it would be clear-cut. I think the fitness of Liverpool today would just like blow past. I know Arsene Wenger made many sort of like revolutionary changes to the British game in terms of the way players conditioned and their nutrition and stuff like that and the, the imports, especially from France, uh, of players. But like the game has come on leaps and bounds since he was a new manager. And that's one of the reasons I think he failed. He wasn't able to sort of develop with the times, you know? Mm, that's interesting. It's interesting you say that because I was listening to a podcast the other day and Paul Merson was on there and he was saying mm. how when he... When Wenger came in, he started putting in all these new stuff for the players to condition themselves and how you, how you should live mm-hmm. your life and stuff. And Paul Merson and the Arsenal lot, like Tony Adams and Ray Parler and stuff, they'd then go into the England camp, be doing all these like warm-ups and conditioning exercises and everyone was looking at them like, what the what, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And Paul Merson's like, no, trust me, man, trust me. Man. It's, it's the new, it's the new <laughs> um, So it's interesting to how, how he brought that and changed the game, like you said, but then mm-hmm. couldn't keep up with what he started in a way he sort of like did it yeah. too early would you say well not too early because he was extremely successful and he was um an excellent foil for Sir Alex Ferguson's years of dominance you know um but it was this like glaring tragedy that he refused to like he come in and shown everybody the way and then refused to be shown the way after that you know mm. I think um there was I read in a blog recently that if he had hired Tuchel as an assistant at one point in time, instead of just relying on Pat Rice all the time, like we may have won uh, a Champions League because there were so many innovative managers coming through, like Guardiola, like Klopp, like Tuchel, like um, uh, Nagelsmann, for example, you know, and all of these managers now are managers in their own rights. You can't hire them as assistants anywhere. Mm-hmm. But they were coming up at one point. Even the guy who assists um, Klopp at Liverpool um, and they were touting whether or not he was going to move on to become a manager in his own right. Yet Renga surrounded himself, not to be too critical of him, but he surrounded himself with lots of yes men, people who were going to agree with what he said. And He was the last version of a manager in the true sense of the word. We have loads of head coaches now, people whose sole focus is to get the best out of the team that they have, whereas they have like um, directors, uh, technical directors who do all the hiring of coaches and transfers, whereas Renga was very much in control of all of that. He even negotiated the contract, you know? When we think of that in modern football today, it's ridiculous to think like, just why don't you focus on the tactics of the team and make sure that team's best prepared and tell us who you need and we'll go out and find, or what you need in the play we'll go out and find it that system makes so much sense now but there was a time where the manager was the king 
He was basically the dictator of the club. And I suppose when he comes in to a system that's broken in terms of like player condition and nutrition and stuff, and then gets so much success off the changes that he makes, like you can understand why he is so precious about the power that he has. But had he been able to relinquish like 25% of that, he might still be managing Arsenal now. He would go until he was tired. Were you, I know Wenger has had his critics sort of mm-hmm. since maybe, I don't know, I, I want to say from 2010 onwards, really. And I know a lot of people started the Wenger Out Brigade from then. Mm. Where, where were you, at what point in time were you sort of saying, right, it's time to go? Was it was it up until he went, or was it when I don't know he got you lost eight two to Man United or well, that's <laughs> <laughs> hit a nerve there. Oh man, I um I remember being transfixed in that game. Like if you start getting beat eight two on FIFA, most people just quit, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you know you're going to lose a game in extra, like people leave the stands, right? You go home early. But I sat and watched that whole game because I couldn't understand what was happening to my club. And I was watching those goals like, oh, is that an individual mistake? Or is that... Like, it was just so perplexing how far we had fallen in comparison to our greatest rivals, you know? Um, so, yeah, that was, that was a dumbfounding moment that was really, really painful. But um, when did I become... Because I definitely was Wenger out before the end. I think I became fully Wenger out when Guardiola joined Man City because I thought that had Wenger left that year, he might have come to Arsenal. Because Guardiola had, has been on record saying that he wanted to come to Arsenal as a player in his last few years. And Wenger said that there's no space for you in this team. And had he come in that time, Guardiola might be the Arteta that we have now, you know? You play your last few years out with this team. You go straight in to do your badges. Um, then again, I suppose like he's got that Barca DNA, right? So he was probably always going to go back to Barcelona to manage. But if he had had that relationship with the club after he left Barca, maybe he doesn't go to Bayern Munich. Maybe he comes straight to um, Arsenal as an assistant. Oh, not an assistant. I don't know. But yeah, there's a lot of like what ifs. It seems to be like the one of the lasting memories of Wenger's career. Like, what if we'd signed Zlatan Ibrahimovic? What if we'd signed Ronaldo and all of these players that he almost signed? Um, but yeah, I think it was when Guardiola went to City and then Klopp went to Liverpool, and it was just like you're not making us better anymore. You're not even maintaining us at the level that we were. And then when we dropped out of the top four and went into the Europa League, that was like the, mm. the uh, what would you call it? That was the nail that finally nailed the coffin for me. What happened though? Because where did it go wrong? Because you've, you've, what was it? When did you win the league? Was it, you did the unbe- unbeaten run. Yeah, you won the league and then Invincible was 2004. And then you got all these amazing players and you get to the Champions League final, was it 2006? Yeah. And then you moved to the Emirates somewhat around that time as well. Was that a huge, did that have a detriment, detrimental effect on the club, moving, moving from Highbury? And did it come at a bad time? Well, I'm so proud of that stadium. And every time I see it, like, I live on top of Highgate Hill. So when I come out of my road, I can see the stadium. It's like on the skyline. Nice. And that was one of, the, one of the highlights of living where I do, for sure. 
Um, I don't know if it came at the wrong time. I think that, once again, Wenger as the manager of the club was so involved in that move, you know. Uh, but it was the whole like financial fair play thing. Arsenal were in this position of power where it was like, oh, we've got so many cash reserves because we moved stadium early. And actually, oh my goodness, if you compare the cost of the Emirates to the cost of White Hart Lane, the new one, like it's mad. They're paying like... Always to the looking point to where get one up on us. Yeah, for sure. To the point where they've <laughs> gone, to, gone to the Bank of England for a loan. I think you should just put them in the administration now, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but yes, the, the, we became a bit cash-strapped when we moved. And then if you hire a good scout and don't just buy the players that you decide you found, like you can do what Borussia Dortmund did in terms of like finding really great players when they're young or unknown and build a team that way. But we've wasted a lot of money on players like Jovino, you know? That wow. was more, I think that was more of a problem than the stadium move itself. And yeah, yeah. we expected that... Um, that the uh, associations would put caps on player spending and that clubs would be only be able to spend what they make and all of this uh, foreign investment from the United Arab Emirates and super rich billionaires, you know, would level football, but it hasn't. Mm. And it is sort of tragic to be in this position that's partly of your own making and then be blaming the fact that, oh, but they've, they've got more money than us and they've got more of this and that because so many other teams have survived without those massive cash injections. Klopp came to Liverpool and they haven't given them that much more money than they had before, but he just knows how to build his team mm -hmm. and he's got like a real identity that's based on attack and defence as opposed to just like, we'll outscore you in the way that yeah. they like to play. The thing that done it for me, right, when I, when I sort of thought, you know, when Wenger's done out here and Arsenal, Arsenal aren't that team anymore was when Van Persie signed for Man U. That was when I was like, wow, that is huge. Like these two teams yeah. were in the in the mid two thousand and early two thousands and the late nineties. It yeah. was Arsenal Man United. That was the Premier League. Just them two. Yeah. And then for United to go and take their best player and then for him to go and bang them mm -hmm. in and win the win leagues with them, I was like, Wow, that is that is speaking volumes. And then from it was that moment. The year on, after that, when Van Persie won the title with United and Ferguson retired, you know, it's just like, yeah. and then there was this like photo of all of the players that had left, Nasri, Sanya, uh, Fabregas, Van Persie, all like what a spine that is mm. in the first instance. Even Song, Alexandra Song had left Arsenal, gone to Barcelona and won titles there. And all the silverware that they had won that we hadn't, it was just like, it, it became really, really painful that we had become this selling club that people would just come and like poach all of our stars. Uh, and not be doing it in a way that we were competitive in the way that Borussia Dortmund had done it as well, you know? Like, yeah, it was a real indictment. I remember reading that, like, letter of departure or thanks to the fans and sorry for this thing that I'm going to do from Van Persie. Um, and feeling real animosity towards him in that moment, but it was hard. misplaced. It's hard to blame him. Yeah, it was misplaced because, firstly, players are mercenaries. Like, this whole... There are very few players now that come through the system, the youth team, and then stay, you know, and then become like club legends and have that in their blood. I'm not 
begrudging players who go after a check or go after titles. Everyone wants to be successful. What's your legacy? How many, how many uh, medals did you win? You know, that's what we play for. We play to be successful. So if you find yourself in a situation that's not allowing you to be, to do your best work, then you have to go and find that situation. And uh, mm. that's what he did, unfortunately, for us. Just, just quickly back to Wenger. Obviously, he leaves. Yeah, we'll touch just quickly. Touch on Emery before we move on to Arteta. What? <laughs> Shope is nodding right now with his eyes closed. Um, oh man! What? Uh, Emery, like, what was that? And why? What happened? What happened? It's a great, <laughs> great question. Because it looked like Arteta was bang on to sign. You know. And we'd apparently done our due diligence and come up with this short list of managers, including Ancelotti um, and people that we'd gone through this whole interrogation system, loads of interviews and whittled mm. it down and looked for the right manager. And Arteta had come up, as far from all the rumours in the club, Arteta had come up as the guy. And then in the last minute, the announcement's made and it's Unai Emery and just like, who? Hang on, wait. You've hired the guy who threw away the five-goal lead against Barcelona in the Champions League? Are you kidding me? And then of apart course. from Pierce, yeah, that yeah. never that guy. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, you, look, he comes from PSG, and you're like, apart from that blip, yeah, he won the league a couple of times, but also PSG are going to win the league without a manager, as far as I'm concerned. Like, Monaco will put up a good fight, but PSG just have too much money. Yeah. So all he had to do was keep the car in the lane and he didn't even do that. I think he, he lost the league to Monaco one of the years he was in charge. And then there's so many rumours about how he can't manage egos. And yeah, we don't have superstar players in the same way PSG did. We don't have a Neymar. I don't think Aubameyang is comparable in terms of Aubameyang really able to throw straps on the field. You know, he doesn't dive. He's not a bit of a football princess. But his football is really negative as well. And you know what really, really sort of like gutted me about Unai Emery? It was the excuses that he made for not being successful. And he wanted the fan base to sort of reduce their expectations. Like he, he made it out as if we were lucky to scrape a draw against Southampton, you know? It's like, oh, people have to lower their expectations. It's like, I thought you understood what the remit of this job was before you took it. I thought you understood what the history of world football looks like and where Arsenal rank in those teams. Yeah, we're not the richest clubs, but up until recently, we were the most consistent team to be in the Champions League every single year for, I think it was 20 years, in a way that even Real Madrid hadn't been in the Champions League that consistently every single year. For some reason, I don't understand how that happened. But uh, yeah, he made it out as if he'd taken over you know, Scunthorpe Town and he'd done a really great job at just nicking a draw of Southampton. That, that was just really bemusing to me. But Emery didn't speak English before he took the job. And that's not, it's not a bad thing in itself. But if you can't manage players, can't speak the language, your footballs can completely counter to the culture of the club. Like you've got so many things against you before you start. And then the players just lost, lost respect for him. So is Arteta the man? You know what? I don't know. And the best thing about Arteta is that it's his first job as a manager, you know, right? And all he's done to lift the fan base is say the right things, prove that he can communicate with the players, tell everybody what he believes the club should be, which is a big team that's competing for trophies again. 
and he it, without making any transfers he's begun to shore up some sort of defense you know and he may not be the one that takes us back to premier league glory but he is definitely the guy who he's got a plan you know and i think that's the very bare minimum that we should ask for at the moment mm-hmm. a guy who's got a plan a guy who's going to work with the players and help them develop and get better um and then the only problem with Arteta now is that the executives above him are kind of shaky looking. Raul Sanyehi has not washed himself in glory in the time that he's been um, the director of football. He took over while Spenger was here to enable some sort of transition to happen. And the play, and then he got rid of, oh my God, what was his name? You know, the excellent um, scout from Mislintat, Sven Mislintat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sven is a G as far as I'm concerned. He found us Genduzi, he found us, um, what's his name? Uh, Lucas Torreira, great players, you know, and he knows how to find bargains and really talented players or people who are going to develop into talented players. And then Sanye, he's like, okay, Arsene Wenger's left, you can jog on as well and I will take over the way that we run transfers in this club. And that was a major turning point in the misfortune of Arsenal. Because just as things were supposed to get better, one of the guys who's going to be an architect to design the future of this club and who's got a track record of doing it really well mm. is, is bounced out. And then Sanye has not been able to fill that gap himself. There seems to be this culture of... Um, the old boys club and looking after each other with the super agents. And that's how Sanye seems to work. And that's not what Arsenal can afford at the moment. We haven't got the money to be paying 6 million in agency fees for, on top of every transfer mm. or buying players like David Luiz, who when all wages and agency fees are considered, like we paid Chelsea 8 million for him, but we paid out 24 mil in terms of his wages for a year. And there are signing on bonuses and like, agents fees he's a he's he's good player he's been good under Arteta everyone was terrible under Emery but that's not money that we can afford to like piss in the wind at the moment yeah so we've had 12 weeks without football what Mm. a way to start tomorrow night this is going to be this (laughs) this this episode is going to be put out in in a week so everyone's going to know what happens when when they listen to this in a week's time but tomorrow night Arsenal go off to the Etihad. Oh, man. <laughs> um, behind closed doors, obviously. But um, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be amazing to actually watch some Premier League football. But, I mean, what, what, what a place to get the season back underway for, for the Gooners. You know what? Like, there are two things that I have in my mind about it. One, we beat them 2-1 at the Etihad not too long ago. I think it was still under Wenger, so it might be like three years now. But um, I remember Santi Cazorla's performance in the middle of the park with Coquelin alongside him. And we just like sat tight. Ramsey was running up and down and then we just nicked two goals and that's all we needed. So it's not like they are unbeatable. Mm. And we've seen this season, like how much they fell off the title chase with uh, Liverpool, that they are not the team that they once were a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. But they're still Man City and they've still got De Bruyne and Silva and Aguero and their, their entire team sheet is like, two world-class players in every position, you know? And they're managed by one of the best managers in the world. So one of the sort of good things about playing Man City straight away is that if we get smashed, 
it's all uphill from there. Otherwise, like, it would just be easier from then on, you know? And if we don't get smashed, the momentum that's going to, like, propel us into the, the last nine games is going to be excellent. Mm. So there are going to be a lots of emotions, of course, because of Arteta's involvement with City over the last four years and the circumstances in which he left were not ideal. But as long as we don't get smashed, I think it's going to be an excellent result. If we can nick a win, hey, who knows, man? Like, this is the sort of optimism that we get under Arteta that we didn't have under Emery. But also, like, it's been 12 weeks off. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll just see what happens. You know? Also, if there's any manager that's going to win at the Etihad, it's going to be Arteta. I mean, yeah, he knows he all those players' weaknesses. Exactly. Yeah. We'll and, see, uh, and it might be a good time to play him because there's no team has momentum. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like a preseason exactly. again. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Now, just quickly, I want to say to you, right? So, mm. you're the manager. You're a gaffer, right? You're a manager down Power League, right? And you can, and you can pick an Arsenal five aside of all time to compete in a little mini Power League tournament in their prime. Right. Who, who's okay. your, who's your, who's your Arsenal five? I'm reason it definitely. Um, let's go. Let's go, goalie. Let's go, goalie. Goalie. Let's start and go. You know what? Okay, I'm going to go for Layman. Oh, I'm going to go for Layman right. only because he's mad, and he'll close you down. He'll come off that line and make it really difficult for you. Like give you no time on the ball. Like I was going to pick Seaman for the nostalgia, and actually I really went rate Burnt Leno as a goalkeeper. But um, we're going to go for Mad Vienz Layman. I right, got Layman. We got Layman in goal, so he's just centre half. Arsenal have had some bad centre-halves over the years. Yeah, man. Lauren Koscielny. Yeah, no doubt for Koscielny. Koscielny at the back. Two, who's two in the middle? Yeah. Two in the middle. Oh. It's hard. So hard. Um, Kozula. Oh, he's perfect he operates, for Bali. Yeah. Yeah, he operates like so well in those small spaces. Yeah. And then um, Ramsey for the engine up and down and Omri up top Omri up top so you've got Lehman Koscielny Ramsey Kazola, Omri that's the. you know what it's so funny because like that's such a very recent team yeah interesting it's a team of like the you go from like 2004 through to 2014 hmm. um, I'd love to have Perez in there but I think like he's got really long legs and he works well with loads of space um same with um, Youngberg. Oh, I want to get Bergkamp in there, you know? Oh, you missed that Bergkamp out. I know. Just, oh, he would do them thing that goal he scored against Newcastle. Hey, Newcastle, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, that touch. That's the best oh. Premier League goal, I think, personally for me. I, I've yet to come across one that beats that. When I watched that yeah. goal, yeah, still yeah. to this day, I don't know what he done. I don't know what he sense. done. But he knew that he was going to do it because obviously he's just like, he's touched the ball and he's gone. The ball's still spinning. He's, he's like, he, oh, he knew. He it knew. wasn't a mistake. But even if you <laughs> slow it down in slow-mo, you still, I still can't work out what, he, what he'd done. To that, the way Ozil chips the ball from, by, tip, by kicking it down. Yeah. You know the yeah, way he chips yeah. keepers? Like, I don't understand. The ball's flat on the ground, right? Rolling. And then he kicks it down into the ground and it bounces up over a standing human being. It <laughs> yeah. just doesn't make any sense. It's crazy. Oh, oh mate, man. that goal is ridiculous. Team goal, Arsenal versus Norwich. Oh, Jack, Jack Wilson. Oh. Yeah. 
That's mad. And then Ramsey's goal against Fulham. What was Ramsey Fulham? Oh, Ramsey Fulham. He's just, so Unai Emery is like put him on the bench because he won't sign his contract. And then uh, we're down. No, we're not, we're not down, but I think it's level. Let me get up. And then Ramsey comes on. First touch of the ball is like he wins the ball with a header. And then it's just pinging back and forth between Lacazette, Bellerin, Ramsey in the middle, lets it go, runs on, Aubameyang feeds. And then he's just got that um, ball gets crossed in and he does that, what do you call it, that chop? Literally, there we go. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. The li- aha. Was that his first touch? And he's, yeah, it was his second touch. Second, or second touch. or third touch of the game. And then he's got those hands up like, should have started me from the beginning, bro. <laughs> oh, my God. What a goal. Yeah, I do remember that. That was a couple of seasons ago, wasn't it? Or last season? Mm. It was last season, yeah. Yeah, it was, that was really last prim. season, yeah. Still we not still as good got that for me. Yeah. Sometimes. No, no, no. Definitely not. Definitely. All right. So what I've been asking every guest... Uh, listeners, you're going to know the drill by now. Um, mm. So I want you to have a think about this one, right? You can play right. any footballer that's ever played the game, past or present, mm-hmm. in a biopic of their life in a Hollywood film, right? Mm-hmm. Take, take everything into account, like story, career, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are you going to play and why? Whose story do you want to portray on the screen? I mean, I'll be well up for playing Wes Morgan, you know? Captain wears in the year that um, Leicester won the Prem. Yeah, but um, but that's that's not like my heart's desire. It's just a um, funny sort of. I mean, I'd love to do a film like Goal, where yeah. you just get to play football the whole time. That'd be wicked. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to say someone like Pele, uh, because his story is incredible in terms of where he came from, as well as like what he then went on to do in football, and then mm. what he's done post playing career as well. I don't know what JJ's story is, but it'd be wicked to play a Nigerian because my parents were Nigerian descent. Mm. Um, trying to think of like if there have been any Nigerians who have had this incredible like rise story. That's interesting, you know, like they're not enough players that I know all their black backgrounds about, you know? Mm. And it'd be interesting to see like stories like uh, Ronaldo where he was playing um, youth football and the scouts were there and his mate squared in the ball because whoever scored the most goals was the one that was going to get signed. And then he still gives money to his mate, like like a little stipend from all of his paychecks because like he wouldn't be where he was if his mate hadn't squared in that ball with youth football, you know? No way. That's, what, know that. that's, that's, yeah, that's a beautiful story. Or there's a story of Beckham as well when he was um, at the Man United Academy. That's my dad always keeps telling me. And um, he wasn't necessarily the best player. And they were looking to graduate some players up into the next, into the first team. And there was this one player who just had a terrible, terrible attitude. And he was actually more gifted than Beckham, but his attitude wasn't in the right place and he was um, had really bad discipline. So they cut him, making space for Beckham to showcase his talents. My dad always used that as an example of how you've got to keep your head down and work hard and be nice to people and yeah. have the right attitude about everything. Otherwise, your opportunity to be on that um, that level will be taken away from you. A bit like Ravel, Mor- Ravel Morrison, you know? Mm. Oh, yeah, that's such um, a waste, waste, isn't it? He's such yeah. a baller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm stuck on Pele at the moment because he's, at least he's dark-skinned. Pele's uh, a good one. any suggestions? Nah, I like I like Pele's a good one because you know he could start he could start the film when he was younger and his rise up the mm. leagues and now he became the best player ever. But 
I like I like Wes Morgan. I like yeah. that. Because he, he, he sort of did have a rise. Like he was at, I think he was at Nottingham Forest in like relegation battles in the championship. And mm-hmm. to, to then like make this rise where you're like a player who is earning, earning a good living in the championship, but like in relegation battles, no one knows you. To then yeah. towards the end of your career, take Leicester up to the Premier League and then within, within 24 months, lift the Premier League. Winning it, yeah. Them. Like... That is crazy. And then playing in though. Europe the year after, you know. Yeah, there's some good, there's some good stories there, hundred percent. But yeah, Pele, I think a film about Pele would be, would be amazing, just because of the 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 era he was playing football. Like mm-hmm. you know, you'd you'd be wearing all the old school kits and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and the mad boots as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The only problem with Pele is that I don't think he he never left South America. He scored all of these goals in farmers' leagues, basically. Mm. So, yeah, he played for Santos for 18 years and then played in New York for two years. Whereas Maradona, you know, he's gone and like, he's seen the world. Oh, I'd lo- I, I want to see a film about Maradona. Yeah. That would be a mad ride for sure. That would be some yeah, crazy... I'm trying to think of like African players who um, have had like, oh, Drogba. Oh my God, Drogba would be wicked. Yes. And also like what he's done in terms of his charitable foundations after playing football is really important. Did you hear that story about how um, he knelt down in front of like freedom fighters in the Ivory Coast and said, please stop killing our people. And they saw this national icon and they're like, okay, cool, we've got to stop. Like that kind of man, oh, Drogba for sure. Did you not fancy um, Adibayor? No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I wiped him from my memory man <laughs> <laughs> do you know what would be good about Jogba the last yeah. the last bit of the film would be the winning penalty in his last ever game for Chelsea yeah. in the Champions League final yeah yeah um, yeah he's a beast man what a, what a legend Premier League legend Didier oh my god he tore us a new one many absolute unit oh mate do you know the story about Abue nah and how he's totally bankrupt at the moment no way yeah, a boy would be fun. Maybe a good comedy film with a dark twist. Actually, how's he? How's he bankrupt? <laughs> he just um, there's so many football players. I think there's like a strong percentage of football players that go bankrupt after they finish playing because they never learn to manage their money because they just always had so much coming through. And then uh, a boy went bankrupt, and I think his wife divorced him and took a load of his money as well. So that might be a good like tragic yeah, that's a good story. story. There's also that scene. Um, I know there's a video of it on YouTube. And it's in like football's funniest moments where he just has the worst game ever. Oh, yeah. But there's that one. And then there's also one where he goes over to like, I think it's uh, Ivory Coast versus uh, South Korea or something. And the manager, the South Korean, the Korean manager is giving a Korean player instructions in Korean. And the boy's there just like, yeah, 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 yeah okay, cool. And exactly what he told him. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and his, um, his, what do you call it? His interviews were just always banner. Always banner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that clip though, I don't know if you've seen it, where he just has the worst game and he's getting booed left, right and centre at the Emirates <laughs> and he gets subbed off and like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's so funny. Shoppe, mate. Absolute pleasure, man. Yeah, man. I really enjoyed that, man. Thanks for having me. Top man, bro. Thanks a lot. Look after yourself. Well. Today's podcast is presented by Podco. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you're going to get when you include an ad from Podgo. 
I recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O.